Okay, can you, oh, there we go. Well, then let's just get comfortable and just move that off. There we go. Well, good morning, family. Happy post-Thanksgiving. Hope you all had a wonderful time eating. Amen. I mean, you know, we are very thankful. Absolutely. We're in God's house, but, you know, eating. My family had a wonderful time eating and just being together, staying in pajamas all day. That was our kind of Thanksgiving this year. How many of you were here last week to enjoy the meal that God brought to us through our sister Mignon? Some of you were here. Amen. You know, we took a break from our usual fare, which is like a four-course meal delivered by our normal chef, my better half, Dr. Chris. And then last week we had like a, a buffet a lavish buffet, and food is food. So however it is that God feeds us is good food, and we ate well. And I'm so thankful God resonated the message that he gave to Mignon to so many of our hearts. And um, thank the Lord for um, taking us through this series that I'm going to continue today on wonder women and super men, ordinary women and men who were given extraordinary opportunity by God to accomplish his purposes. And so these are not women and men who necessarily had a great skill or some great quality about them, but God gave them an extraordinary opportunity to accomplish his purposes. And so today I want to continue a message that God actually began simmering in my heart months ago when I spoke about Rahab. At the tail end of that study, as I linked these two women together, God started stirring some things in me and I tucked it aside and then he has said, okay, today's the day to serve this meal. So join me in prayer as we explore together this Wonder Woman. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be in your house today, Lord. We never take for granted the opportunity that you give us to gather together in community in your house. Lord, in safety and in peace, Lord, giving us the capacity to drive here to bring our families, Lord, to have clothes to wear, to have eaten food today. Lord, for these simple things, we give you thanks. And Lord, we thank you for the story that you wrote, that you have recorded for us in your word. Thank you for the life of this amazing, ordinary, foreign woman. Thank you for the things that you have taught me. Thank you for the things that you will teach us all today. And most of all, God, thank you for the story that you have written and that you are writing in each of our lives. And I pray that we would walk away today encouraged, Lord. Encourage the page that we're on. Encourage that your work continues in and through us as it did in Ruth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We'll turn with me to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. It is right past Joshua and then Judges. And then we get to Ruth. And, uh, you know, as a writer, I think of our lives and, and really everything that I see, I think of as a story. I think of in story form. And the Bible is full of real stories about real people. And most of all, it gives us his story through those people. And you know that God wrote it because it's real. He doesn't spare us the pain and the, the mistakes and the ups and the downs. It's not like the Hollywood stories that we like today that have a, a nice little bow on it at the end to just make us feel really good. No, God, God gives us the real deal, and we see that in Ruth's story. 
And I'm going to scan through this book because, you know, I have about a 30-minute allotted amount of time. And, you know, as I was studying, I just kept looking up and saying to Chris, it's just so much. How do you condense it? I marvel at the skill that he utilizes every week because I could, I could share with you for hours the things that God just showed me from a book that I've read so many times. So I'm going to scan through and highlight a few sections today for us to take away. Um, if we think of this, this book in, in character form, our main character is, of course, Ruth, but we actually start her story with another woman and a man, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech. And the setting of this book starts in a city that may be familiar to us this time of year, Bethlehem. Okay, we're used to hearing it at the Christmas season, but Ruth's story actually starts with Naomi and Elimelech in Bethlehem. And just to give you the background, Bethlehem is, um, the word means house of bread. And where Bethlehem was situated in the Holy Land, it did not have any springs. And so it was um, dependent on reservoirs or cisterns of water from the rainfall, and it was well-suited for growing grain, therefore growing bread or having bread and producing for the people. But when there was a dry season and there was no rain, the cisterns had no water to collect, and so a grain could not grow to produce bread, and so a famine resulted. And so Elimelech decided to do what many people did in the book of Judges, the book says that, that everyone in that period did what was right in their own eyes. So Elimelech decided in his own eyes that the best plan for his family was not to stay put and expect God to provide. You know, God can provide in a dry season. Elijah found that out. You know, a raven came and fed him. But Elimelech decided his family's need was to go to Moab. And so as their family moved to Moab, he was compensating for a dry season. And, you know, as I paused and thought about that, I thought, you know, it's easy to look at someone else's choices and say, well, it worked out in the end as a justification for making a bad decision. But this decision that this man made for his family cost so much. And we cannot just roll over it and say, well, it all worked out was a drastic and ultimately a tragic decision. Naomi experienced layers of loss. I don't know if you've ever been in a season in your life where it got bad and then you said, God, it can't get any worse. And then it got worse and worse and worse. Let me just list to you as we're giving the background, the first few verses, and I want you to go. I hope to develop a thirst in you. If you've not explored this book, I hope you leave here and spend some time this week in this book. It's four short chapters, but it is so rich. And so the background for Naomi's layers of loss, she had the loss of her home because they moved from Bethlehem to Moab. She had the loss of her religious community because Moab was a pagan country. And God had been very specific to his people that they were not to worship or even associate with the pagan culture around them. Not because of their race, but because of their religion. Because he wanted his people to be focused on worshiping him. And he knew that being in a foreign country would pollute them. And in fact, it did. So she lost her home. She lost her religious community. And then she lost her husband. And in a day and age like that, that meant that she became a widow which was our equivalent of homeless 
okay? She went way down on the social totem pole. So she'd lost her home. She lost her religious community. She lost her husband. And then she lost her expectations because her two sons had been raised in Moab. And so her expectations for them when they were growing up was that they would follow along what Jews did, and that was marry another Jew. But her sons, having lost their father, chose both to marry Moabite women. That's not what she expected for them growing up. Fifthly, she lost her family heritage because the Bible does tell us in Ruth 1 that after Elimelech died and the sons married, they lived for 10 years in Moab, but they did not have children. So she lost that posterity of her family line continuing. And then last, she lost both of her sons. So layer upon layer upon layer, it got worse and then it didn't get better. It got worse and worse. And I could imagine Naomi was saying, God, what are you doing? Here's our challenge for today. And God just, he said, don't judge someone's life by the page they're on right now. God is still writing their story. And if we close Naomi's story at Ruth 1, it was awful. How bad can your life get? Pretty bad for Naomi. She could not imagine what God was going to write in three more chapters of her life over the course of some years. It's easy to look at the chapter of life we're on right now and wonder, God, what are you doing? We may not know what God is up to, but we can choose to trust his good plans for us. Layers of hardship are planting Naomi for God's harvest. We just need to wait and see. And so over and over, I want to reiterate today for you to reflect on the chapter of life that you're on. And if your chapter is like Naomi's chapter in Ruth chapter one, and it is a season of devastating loss upon loss upon loss, and you are crying out to God, let Ruth's story, let these four chapters remind you that God continues to write your story and that it's not finished in the chapter you're at right now. Amen. Now, if I could speak to Naomi, I would say, Naomi, I know that you are bitter and I don't judge you. But can I give you some perspective in the midst of the layers of loss that you've had? First of all, I would remind you that God has given you some good news from back home because Ruth 1 tells us that she heard that God had visited his people and so the famine had ended. So she got some good news. The tide has turned back home. Secondly, she got determination and desire to return home to uncertainty, but to return. Some of us may have chosen in her shoes to say, never mind, I'm just going to sit here and just die. Why, what else could I do? But God gave her determination and desire to go back home. Thirdly, God blessed her with a bond of love with these two daughter-in-laws. In the midst of loss and tragedy and death, these three women had a beautiful bond together because when she spoke to them and encouraged them to go back home, she says to them that I pray God repay you for the kindness that you've given to me. So God had given them a beautiful bond. Fourthly, she had the capacity in the midst of her mourning to give them words and love and blessing. She spoke to them that I pray that God will bless you in a new home and repay you for what you've given to me. Fifthly, and this is our jewel, she had a steadfast love from Ruth. 
And we're going to highlight that in a moment. And then finally, I would tell Naomi, as you've had these five blessings in the midst of your tragedy, you also had the blessing of barley harvest. We'll see that at the end of this chapter. Look at verses 16 through 18 of Ruth 1. So I've set the stage for you. Naomi has had layers of loss. And so now she's decided to go back to Bethlehem. And, and she, she encourages her daughter-in-law, go back home to your families. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to return back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Those are some of the most beautiful words that we read in Scripture. And I've heard people use these words for wedding vows. Now, some of that I don't, I don't know about the whole where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. I, you know... Do, you know, do what you will. But they're trying to capture the beauty of these words, not spoken from a man to a woman, not romantic, but spoken from a younger widow to an older widow. And this is where I begin to see Ruth as a wonder woman because she was filled with determination. She was filled with courage. After all, I think it would have been easier for her to say, peace, Naomi, I'm Moabite. I know what life would be like here. So we both lost everything. You going back. I've never been there. I'm going to stay here. But she said, no, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. God gave her the capacity to have that kind of faith. So we move on um, to verse 22. Naomi and Ruth have begun the 70 to 100 mile trek from Moab to Bethlehem. Now to us, that's not a big deal, but for women who likely had to walk, that's a long way, okay? Verse 22, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite is her daughter-in-law with her who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Don't go by that powerful line at the beginning of barley harvest. You know, we can be so eager to read the word of God and then move on to the next chapter, but that line right there at the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi did not providentially plan her years and plan the seasons and decide I'm going to arrive at the beginning of barley harvest, but this is where we see the providential hand of God because she was coming from a season of devastating loss. But God timed it that she would return when the harvest was occurring. And that's going to be significant for her life. So God has set his kind of stage. We have an older widow who was full of bitterness. A younger widow was a foreigner. And together, they are destitute. This is how God writes stories. So we move on into chapter two, and I would title that a new start. As I've already said, widows would be equivalent to our homeless in America today. So if you think about that, think about the capacity that they have to make a life for themselves. 
No male protector in that society um, meant that they did not have social or economic status, so they were dependent on the society. So Ruth essentially says to Naomi, I'm going to look for work, and I am willing to do whatever work I can. So she takes the work of the poor, and that is being a gleaner. And what do you have to understand about gleaning in Levitical law? This is how God provided for the social problem of poverty. He established a system of justice paired with the hard work of the poor. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see how God set that up. And Ruth, not knowing their customs, takes whatever work she can get. And this is available for her. Now we get to introduce into the story Boaz. And as I read this, I said, Lord, I thought we had a Wonder Woman in Ruth but you've slipped up and gave us a Superman too. So we kind of got two for one because this is an amazing man. Boaz is a man of great wealth, chapter 2 tells us. He is a boss who spoke words of blessing to his workers. How awesome is that? Another note that this passage does not tell us until the end. But Boaz was um, part uh, from, from Jericho, his mother, was Rahab. And so Boaz was a mixed man. And I find that very fascinating considering how God wrote this story of connecting him to Ruth. Um, and so he was also, as we see in this chapter, a kind and considerate boss. As he sees Ruth come into his field that God directed her to, he instructs his servants to leave grain for her. He wanted her hard work to be especially productive, sort of as a bonus for her. He wanted her work to count for her. And so she worked in his field one day and left with an equivalent of 30 days of grain. Now, that's, that's a great bonus. Can you imagine in one day getting 30 days worth? That's, that's beautiful. Oh, that we who have privilege like Boaz would use it in this capacity, looking out for someone that God places in our path and lavishing blessing on them as Boaz did to Ruth. Now, if you read this story, this is not because he saw her and said, oh, she, she looks hot. I think I'll, there's not, we see none of that here. This is a man with wealth and privilege who identifies a foreigner and blesses her. A generous act of kindness helped restore Naomi's faith in God, we see in verse 20. She says to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And so we see the stage being set in chapter 2 for things to turn around for these two widows. And then we move into chapter 3, and we have the redemption coming nigh. And the Old Testament gave another practice of Leveret marriage so that a woman who was a widow could marry the next man in line and redeem and perpetuate the family name. And so Naomi, and I, I don't even have the time to set up that whole stage, but it's a beautiful story of how Naomi encourages Ruth to go to the gleaning floor at night and basically to let Boaz know that she wants him to be her kinsman redeemer. As we see in the end of that chapter, Ruth asked Boaz to take your maidservant under your wing. 
And pretty much she's asking Boaz to answer the prayer that he prayed for her, that God would cover her. And so we move into chapter 4, and we see these women going from lost to legacy. And it's profound in a way that only God could write. Turn with me to chapter 4, and I want to look at verse 14 and verse 15. Our story has a beautiful ending with Boaz and Ruth indeed becoming husband and wife. And the Lord gave her a son. And then it says, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Now that is a profound compliment to a young widow. These women say to Naomi, this daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons. In a society that was very patriarchal, that was very focused on the rights of men and women did not have rights, these women said, this foreign widow, God gave you is better to you than seven sons. And so we see the profoundness of God connecting a foreigner who typically would be excluded from Israel to wealthy Boaz. You know, Leviticus 19.34 tells us the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. I would imagine as Rahab was raising Boaz in the ways of God, and she got to that passage in Leviticus, I would imagine she said, that's me, the foreigner residing among you. And Rahab had no way of knowing that the son that she gave birth to would end up marrying a foreigner himself. And that God would continue a legacy that they probably did not live to see. And they had no way of knowing what God was going to write. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. If you will, this is the Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. My dad had us read those growing up. Matthew chapter 1, in this genealogy of Jesus Verse 5 says, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David, the king. Only God could write a story that takes two women who are widowed and destitute and brings them back at harvest season and then writes the rest of their story for us to see how God takes us from loss to legacy. You know, Psalm 139, 16 says that all the days were written for me in your book before one of them came to be. And as I said at the beginning, I don't know what page you're on right now, but as I was developing the sermon, I thought about the page that I was on 14 years ago today on November 26th. And Karis has stepped out. Um, I usually ask my kids permission before I speak anything, but this is nothing personal about her, so my other two kids can bear witness. 
But 14 years ago today, the page of my life was being written in the hospital, right down the road in Centennial Medical Center on the top floor, eighth floor, high-risk floor. I'd been there for almost six weeks, and the doctors had pronounced me boring but good, um, whatever that means. Um, it sounded good every day for six weeks to be told you're boring but good. Um, and I was um, almost 26 weeks in pregnancy with Karis. Um, she had tried to come about six weeks earlier, and the ambulance had taken me to Centennial. And the doctors had said for my page that you will be here for at least eight-ish more weeks because we want to get this pregnancy to 34 weeks. And so on November 26, I was expecting to be in the hospital through Thanksgiving. And um, actually, that was that Thanksgiving week. I expected to be there through Christmas and into the new year. And we were just plodding along as best as our family could. And what I did not know was that God was writing something different than what the doctor said. Because four days later, God said, it's time for Karis to be born. Untimely very premature, but his sovereign will. And he is continuing to write her story. And, you know, we spent 14 weeks in the NICU. That's not what my story was. I didn't even fathom. I'd never been in a NICU. I didn't, I didn't know what that was like. And as I thought about that, I thought, God, you write in our stories those seasons of, of loss, those seasons where we're scratching our head, or for some of us, honestly, we, we're raising our fists to God and saying, I don't understand what you're doing, and it's uncomfortable, and I, I wish the layers of loss would cease. And if we focus on the stories that God has saved for us in Scripture, we understand from these men and these women that God is the author, and he is the continuer. And if he can take two women from widowhood, Ruth, who had not had a child in 10 years of marriage with her first husband, and God tells us in Ruth 4 that he enabled her to conceive. So he gave her that seed. That's how he wanted to write her story. And not just for her, but he wanted to have a foreigner put in the genealogy of his son. So Bethlehem would not just be the place that we sing about in Christmas carols, but Bethlehem would be a place of restoration for two women who could not have fathomed what God was going to do in their life. The harvest, literally, that he was going to bring to them. Ruth is a superwoman, not because she had some magical powers, but because she was a woman of courage. She was a woman of commitment. She made a vow to her mother-in-law, and God Almighty saw that. And because of her kindness, kindness is written all through the book of Ruth. I went through and started highlighting all the times that kindness is mentioned. There's a sowing of kindness, and there's a reaping of kindness. Ruth's kindness to her mother-in-law, God's kindness to her, Boaz's kindness to her. God was kind enough to this woman to restore her life and give her a husband and give her not only a son, but give her a legacy that we walk in as Gentiles. Amen. If that's the kind of story that God can write for them, trust the page that you're on in your story today. Trust 
that where you're at right now is not the end of your story and that God is still writing it. And as Philippians 1, 6 tells us, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So as long as you're breathing, as long as you're walking, God is still writing your story. And I pray that you will trust him. Maybe you're in a season like Boaz when he comes into our story. He calls Ruth a younger woman. So we can infer from that that maybe there was an age to get between them. He had not had a wife up to that time. How could he have known that God was going to float along in his path, a foreigner in his field, and that he would be the one to be her kinsman redeemer, to marry her and together establish a legacy that we would walk in? I want you to just take a moment and think about the story that God is writing in you. And I want us to take a few moments and close our eyes. And I want us to reflect. Because these stories in scripture are not just for us to say, that's really nice for them. If you would be willing, as our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I want to know how to pray for you. And I don't want to assume that in our body today, we have some whose story is on a page of devastation like Ruth. Maybe like Naomi said in chapter one, the almighty has afflicted me. God's hand is against me. God wrote that so we know he can handle a bitter heart. He can handle human feelings that God has forgotten us. He had not forgotten her, but that's how she felt. If that's you today, I want to know how to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me? Amen. Maybe today your story is like Boaz. God has given you privilege and blessing. And you want to know how to use it. You want to see the people that God has put in your path that you can be a blessing to with what God has given you. If that's you, just lift your hand. Amen. Amen. Father, we all come before you today collectively. Lord, we want to first say thank you. Thank you for the beauty and the power of your word. Thank you, God, for using women and men like Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. Thank you, God, for recording their stories so that we can identify with the journey that they walked and be encouraged, God, at seeing how you have so powerfully redeemed. You are the redeemer, and it is all through scripture. It's all in the Old Testament as well as the New. And God, as we approach this Christmas season, the songs say the most wonderful time of the year, but truthfully, God, for many of us, it's not. It is continuing a season of pain. And Lord, for those in our body who are walking a season of devastation, a season where, like Naomi, they feel that God has afflicted them and forgotten them, or like Ruth in chapter 1, they are walking through loss and pain. 
God, I pray that you would meet them there. You are Emmanuel, God, with us. And I pray that you would be near to them, Lord, and a refuge in their time of trouble. And, Lord, for those who are walking in a page like Boaz where you have given them a capacity and a privilege, you have given them, Lord, wealth, you have given them opportunity, I pray, God, that you would open their eyes, Lord, to see who is in their path, Lord. The people in Ruth's path that day saw her as a foreigner, but Boaz saw her, Lord, he saw her for a woman of standing and a woman of valor. He saw her as you saw her. And I pray, Lord, that we would see those in our path as you see them. Lord, I pray collectively that you would forgive us where we have judged other people's pages and we have forgotten that you are writing their story. Lord, help us where we have forgotten that you are writing our stories too. Increase our trust in you. You have begun this good work in us and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And finally, Lord, we just want to give you thanks because you included Ruth in the genealogy of your son. What a privilege for a woman who was foreign to Israel that you had grabbed her in. And we too are grafted in to the story of history that you've written. And we say, thank you, God. You are awesome. And your work is good. I pray that we would celebrate your work in us and each other. In the name of Jesus, we all pray. Amen. 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 Well, I pray that you will have a wonderful Sunday, a wonderful day with your family. Go in peace. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.